2: Jaguar shocked the F1 world in the summer of 2001 when it announced Adrian Newey was going to be moving across from McLaren for the following season. It was a swoop that appeared to signal it was time to take Ford's floundering F1 team seriously, but it was short-lived. Just 13 days after Jaguar's bombshell news, the team came to an agreement with McLaren for Newey to stay put, and less than two months later, the architect behind this surprise attempt was shown the door. In this episode of Bring Back V10s, we'll go over this whole saga in great detail and get to the bottom of why Jaguar lost out in a very public tug of war over one of the greatest F1 car designers we've ever seen. And joining me, Glenn Freeman, to head back to June 2001 are Ed Straw and making his first appearance of the series, Andrew Vanderberg. Andy, I'm going to come to you first, you were working for Jaguar at this time, running the F1 team's website. So dare I ask, when you think back to the events around this shock move from Jaguar to get Newey, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
3: Oh, the first thing that comes to mind, I think we're going to get into in a few more details later on in this. And that's when the whole thing fell apart. But um being in the team at the time, you know, obviously it came in with this massive fanfare and expectation. It was the first time Jaguar had been an F1 and I remember going to Silverstone that first year and there was all these people wearing green caps and it was you know, a, an enormously exciting thing to be a part of, but the results weren't anything like as exciting. And then to be linked with Adrian Newey, who you know was about the biggest name possible on the design side of things, was incredibly exciting and it really did feel like, wait, this project's going somewhere now, this is going to be amazing. Uh, and then like so many things connected to the Jaguar Formula One project, it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, we get so many questions and requests for, for Jaguar-related episodes. There will be episodes in the future that focus much more on just the general failure of that team. But this will be a window into some of the symptoms of all of that for you. Now, Ed, I know that you, like me, like most of us, a big admirer of Adrian Newey. So what stands out for you about this story?
4: I think it's just what it represents rather than a specific moment. Obviously, the enormous success of Red Bull the same team but under different ownership it's just this glorious counterpoint to how ineffective Jaguar was in general and the fact that it had the success with Newey which Jaguar had tried and failed to to get just adds to that effect in a way the past 17 or so years of Red Bull success in F1 exists purely to mock Jaguar or really the Ford Motor Company as well we'll get on to so yeah recruiting Newey was a great idea but just absolutely under the wrong ownership just a great great monument to
2: the folly of that team this this failed attempt now let's hear some of your answers to the opening question which we're very much enjoying doing in this series we put this one out on twitter and here are some of the responses we got michael moyle said if ford put 100 backing both financially and technically into a newly designed car it could have been like red bull in the 2010s however jaguar didn't have the right management in place And there were lots of references to the fact that Newey ended up going to that team under different ownership, as we've already mentioned, including from uh, Sean Kelly, Werner Smith and Rass. Alonzo Manso says Nicky Lauda wasn't a team player with Bobby Rahal. We'll get into that as well. We'll certainly, uh, well, we'll talk about what Chris Fielder describes as a sliding doors moment for Jaguar in F1. Thomas Knight says Newey dodged a bullet and Ed Spencer calls it the slow beginning of the end for the whimpering cats. Thank you to everyone who sent something in. It's great to hear what you think alongside our guests' memories. Talking of Twitter, you can submit your questions about the V10 era for our series finale using the hashtag bringbackv10s or you can email them to bring back V10s at the-race.com. And if you'd like to get early access to new episodes and to listen ad-free, plus a chance to ask questions for an exclusive bonus episode, check out the Race Members Club. And to join that, head to the-race.com forward slash members club. Now we can trace this whole saga back to two things that happened in the previous year. One on Newey's side and one on Jaguar's. We'll start with Newey. He wrote in his incredible book, How to Build a Car, that in August 2000, Ron Dennis told Newey and Martin Whitmarsh that he eventually wanted them to take over the running of McLaren. However, when Newey asked when that was likely to be, Ron said, I'm not prepared to put a timescale on that, but look, I want your commitment. Are you prepared to do that or are you not? Newey says Whitmarsh pledged his loyalty. But Newey declined, saying, "I'm not going to give you my word that I'll, that I'll sit here indefinitely waiting for you to retire." Newey said a chill blew through the air during that conversation, and his relationship with Ron was never the same again. Ed, we know Ron did eventually step back and Whitmarsh took over in 2009. Was Ron's request back in 2000 to Whitmarsh and Newey was that a fair request, or was Newey right to balk at the idea without a fixed timeline in place? probably a bit of both in that you can understand why Ron
4: Dennis felt he could do that because he'd been so instrumental to McLaren's success so of course he should be allowed to give that indeterminate deadline I'm sure he thought that but whether it's the best strategy is another matter and from Newey's perspective it makes perfect sense I always say to people when it comes to any kind of negotiation you can only deal with what's on the table now and in that case even that if that's a, a formal timeline that's kind of set in some kind of contract then you can set something in place for the future but if you expect a precise commitment, particularly from someone as important as Newey, you've got to give a precise commitment in exchange. And I think it just reflects that blind spot of Ron Dennis. And I think Newey mentioned that Dennis expected unquestioning, undying loyalty from his staff. And I doubt if Ron Dennis even realised that it was problematic to have uh, to have done this and why Newey would quite logically say, well, hang on a minute, that's a bit vague, isn't it? So, yeah, strategic error. I guess Ron Dennis was within his rights to do it, but not a great idea.
2: On the Jaguar end, there were changes coming at the end of the team's unsuccessful first season in green since taking over Stewart. In 1999, Stewart had finished fourth in the championship with 36 points and won a race. Yet in 2000, as Jaguar, it slumped to ninth in the championship with just four points. Former IndyCar champion and team boss Bobby Rahal was brought in by Ford to revive the team's fortunes And not long after that, technical director Gary Anderson was dismissed in December, leaving Rahul with the big task of finding a new technical leader for Jaguar in 2001. Rahul spoke about this on the F1 Beyond the Grid podcast, saying things started unravelling as soon as Gary left. Rahul characterised it as the main designer decided to quit. But let's hear Gary's version of events.
1: Well, my departure, obviously, from Jaguar was... uh very disappointing for me, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, 2000, I, we started the season, we had a car that was quite different, um, and we had high hopes. Initial testing, I think even Herbert and Irvine thought they could, you know, win races, which would have been obviously the objective. But as the season went by, problems arose. And we we had gone from being a small team that just got on and done it with, with Jackie Stewart at the helm and me coming from Jordan as well to the Stewart team. But the new management from Ford were, were just people that just stood in the way of trying to do anything. You know, the, I was banned from actually trying to fix problems. I was, I had to manage, I couldn't do anymore. And that was really, really hard for me because I'm a doer, I'm not a manager. Um, so as the season went by, I discovered that it was, you know, it was very difficult and, the last two races of the season, um we had just bitten the bullet, we had gone and done some one tunnel testing, full size one tunnel testing at an airfield, discovered what our, our aerodynamic problems were, a bit like you know, a bit like the port was in currently, and um made some inserts for the floor and bonded them in there. And the car was just completely different to drive. Um which meant you needed time to get the car optimized again around that, around that. But you know, we were in good position, good good shape there, and the the uh, Ford management, you know, come to me, um, sort of saying, you know, you shouldn't be involved in doing this. You know, you, you can't be involved in doing this. And I I actually took one of them outside and told them to uh, go back to America. Not use exactly those words, but uh, because I was fed up with being preached at. And we went and we had a you know decent week, decent two weekends, and um, so whenever I got back from those two races, I wasn't expecting anything else because I had put myself out, put my nose out of joint and in, in, uh, telling the Ford manager what I thought of them. Um, so I got a phone call to say, your services wouldn't be required anymore. And I was obviously very hurt because I felt that we were moving in the right direction, but we needed to, to regroup as far as management was concerned and, and we didn't. And um, so, you know, going from there really, um, no, I didn't simply leave. I was, uh, re- I was asked to to go um, because because I really lost my cool with the, the Ford management and told them where to go.
2: Forthright stuff there from Gary, as you'd expect. Now, Andy, based on what you saw from inside Jaguar, is it fair to say this whole saga we're about to get into was all Gary's fault?
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> now, I think... Um, even it even as remotely as i was connected to it you could see that things weren't quite right i mean i think ford's expectations when they came in they bought this race winning team that had been stewart you know we put a load more money into it we painted green success will follow where they didn't really do anything in terms of investing in the infrastructure um you know the the Red Bull site that's there now, I think they've taken over eight or maybe even nine buildings on that industrial estate in Milton Keynes. When Jaguar was there, it just took over the Stewart Racing factory, which was an ex-Ball Bearings um, workshop. Uh, I remember going there and and they still had some old PSR um, F3 bits and pieces hanging around in the uh, in the store cupboards and and things like that. So. I think Ford's lack of awareness and knowledge of what was required to succeed at Formula One at that level was really um, ultimately what hurt them and maybe Gary was forced to carry the can or maybe Gary decided that can carrying wasn't for him Um, but it was just uh, symptomatic of a a power struggle that seemed to be constantly taking place at at the team um, from then and further on as we'll discuss in more detail uh, later in this show.
4: And it's worth noting, it's not just Gary saying those sorts of things about Jaguar. Pretty much everyone on the F1 side who was involved has a, a unified view of this, whether they're management or some of the people who are who are on the shop floor. So we can take Gary's uh,
2: estimate as, as fairly representative. He's far from an outlier on this one. Very true. Let's move into early 2001 then. And it was time for Newey and Dennis to get together again to discuss Newey's contract, which was up the following summer. Newey said in his book that he went into the negotiations with optimism given McLaren had returned to being a championship challenging force under his watch. So he was surprised when Dennis offered him a pay cut for a new deal and told him, take it or leave it. Newey wrote in his book, I was taken aback. Yes, on the one hand, you might say with the numbers already so high, I should have been happy either way, but it doesn't really work like that. I had helped the company towards a period of prosperity and achieved a 50% win rate over the past 10 seasons, and I was being rewarded for my efforts with a pay cut. Newey added some more to this in an interview he gave for the Royal Automobile Club talk show in conjunction with Motorsport Magazine in 2019. He said, I'd had a pretty substantial joining fee at McLaren, plus a fairly good championship bonus, so I at least expected to be earning what I'd been earning the previous three years. I was a bit upset about it, in truth. I felt I was being taken advantage of. Newey said he never understood this offer. He he speculated in his book, perhaps it was Ron trying to be clever, thinking I had no alternatives, or maybe he was punishing me for not swearing undying allegiance back in 2000. But Ed, do you have to be brave or stupid to have Adrian Newey working for you and to offer him a pay cut? I think you've got to be foolhardy, which is probably a combination of the two, (laughs) isn't it?
4: So I've sat on the fence there in one word. Dennis and Newey just seem to be playing completely different games here. It's like one's on a Monopoly board and other's on a Snakes and Ladders board or something. And that probably reflects their perspective of negotiations and business dealings. Very, very odd. And I think the point Newey makes about it was perhaps partly because of not pledging allegiance as he put it to to Dennis when he had the chance that, that this happened because it's just completely illogical you bring Newey on board McLaren returns to championship winning form having had a drought so by definition Newey has done exactly what you've brought him in to do you don't pay someone a certain amount on a contract and then reward them by slashing it for the next one do you that's that's pretty normal business sense so I think this probably encapsulates why this Ron Dennis-Adrian Newey partnership was never really the most logical and natural. They didn't entirely see eye to eye and just had completely different expectations of how things should be done. It, it, it's extraordinary, really, because this was Newey at one of his many peaks. He basically won everything. So why on earth would you do this? It, it's astonishing. And I, I can just imagine Newey's draw metaphorically dropping when he was offered this, thinking what? Not expecting anything like that. Do you like
0: Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the the behind-the-scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join
1: us.
2: Enter Bobby Rahal. He and Newey had worked together in IndyCar racing in the 1980s when Newey was Rahal's race engineer. Rahal tried to get Newey involved in a few few IndyCar projects over the years, including the Ferrari project in the late 80s, and he also tried to get him to become a partner with him in his team in the early 90s when Newey was at Williams. By chance, Rahal called Newey around the time of McLaren's offer of a pay cut. They met up and discussed Jaguar's ambitions, finances and resources, Then Rahul offered Newey two and a half times as much as his original McLaren salary to make the move. Newey described that number as almost unbelievably big. Newey also liked the fact it was a flat rate with no bonuses as he was still smarting from the fact that Mercedes engine failures he could do nothing about had cost him a world championship bonus with McLaren in 2000. So, Andy, we know Newey wasn't entirely motivated by money, but it was important to him. Given the numbers on offer here, did he have to take the Jaguar proposal seriously? I didn't expect
3: to veer off into uh, management theory here. But if you look at Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, salary doesn't feature particularly highly. Once you get past earning a certain amount, it becomes about esteem and self actualization And that's the point where knew he would have been in his career at that time. But of course, salary is very much linked to status and the respect that you have within an organization. And if you've been delivering, you definitely have an expectation that you're not going to be earning less. In fact, you would be expected that you would be earning more and rewarded for your efforts. So I can absolutely see why uh, an invitation from Ray How to speak to, to Jaggy would have been listened to. And at that time, Ford was being incredibly acquisitive, Uh, It put that premier performance division together where it put Aston Martin and Volvo and uh, I think they got Jaguar Land Rover and Lincoln in it. And they were really building this big thing that they were putting a lot of money behind. So I think he would have been crazy not to listen to them. Um, Maybe he should have listened a little bit more closely to the details of what they were offering. But uh, there was absolutely the correct logic in, in hearing them out.
2: Newey continued to get nowhere in his negotiations with McLaren, so he kept talking to Rahul. And when they arranged a second meeting, this time Nicky Lauder was brought along. Lauder had joined Ford in a senior role to oversee its racing properties, which included Jaguar and F1, Cosworth and PI Electronics. Lauder was brought in by Wolfgang Reitzler, who had taken over at the top from Neil Ressler. And Rahul said Ressler needing to step back for family reasons was what really started the problems. Rahul said of Lauda, Nicky was a very demanding guy. I called him the white tornado because whenever he came in, there'd be stuff everywhere and then he'd leave and everyone else would have to clean everything up. Lauda's appearance in this meeting was the first red flag for Newey. We've had the chance to interview Adrian for something very special that we'll do here on Bring Back V10s after Series 6, but at the end of it, we were able to get a quick thought from him on his failed move to Jaguar and it was clear that Lauda's role was something that made him Uneasy. So let's have a listen. Yeah, I was,
1: Bobby Rahal at the time was team principal. And I knew Bobby from IndyCars. I'd end, race engineered him for two seasons. And we got on tremendously well. Um, I think one of the most underrated drivers ever. Um, so the attraction really of going to Jaguar was, was to work with Bobby again. But... At the same time, heard all these stories about the Ford management, that Ford had brought Nicky Lauder in. Nicky, I I later found Nicky to be an absolutely fantastic guy, but at that time, he had, a, let's say, a mixed reputation. I was a bit nervous of, of that, and I was just nervous of the whole poly- political scene.
2: Andy, unlike Newey, you were at Jaguar at this time. Was Lauder's reputation warranted back then?
3: Yeah, I think absolutely it was. Um even as low down the pecking order as I was, you could sense the the change in atmosphere almost immediately when he when he came in. I mean, for a start, I think they almost the first week they fired the people that were doing the catering and hospitality in the in the team tents and replace them with this Austrian get up, you know, you get to know these people from when you go to tests and whatever and speak to them and all of a sudden everybody had gone and a whole new lot were in. And and with that the atmosphere had changed as well. I think uh, I always enjoyed talking to Bobby and being around him. It was really open, much the same as it would be now I imagine in the in the IndyCar paddock. Um, and I think a lot of that was driven by the fact that Lauda had this point to prove, you know, he was at Ferrari in that time in the early to mid-90s uh, when it was a complete disaster. Uh, those terrible cars of 92, 93 were when he was there as a consultant at De Montezemolo's behest and obviously he ultimately lost out in that political fight with Jean Todd. So I think he, he felt that he had to make a, an almost immediate impact when he when he came in, although you know, ultimately to my little part of the world, it didn't make any difference whatsoever.
2: Right, you didn't have to clean up the mess then every time the tornado left.
3: No, no, I just would be sat in the corner uh, hoping that the internet didn't go down.
2: <laughs> There's another story from this meeting which will become crucial later on. Rahul talked about this with US racing journalist Gordon Kirby for a special feature about his long, her personal history with Newey back in 2014. This was in motorsport. Rahul said, I sensed Adrian was very uncomfortable with louder. He was trying to push Adrian to sign the paperwork at dinner. I said to louder that I would get it done, but I said you can't push this guy. Much later in the episode, we're going to get into where Newey ended up on the paperwork front with Jaguar. So we're going to try not to give away any spoilers for that just yet. So, Ed, I'm entrusting you with this. What do you make of all this? Was this is this louder being too pushy, waving bits of paper under Newey's nose or was he perhaps being very shrewd to realise that if you're going to snatch a superstar from Ron Dennis you need to have your formalities locked in? Well definitely if you're trying to make a big deal it's a good idea
4: to get pen on paper on something as quickly as you can so I understand that plus this is Nicky Lauda and for all the reasons we talked about I can absolutely imagine this is how he would do a negotiation it would all be about kind of chivying people and trying to kind of get them over the line but that rahul comments about this isn't how you deal with with this guy i think does show that lauda and newey just wouldn't have chimed because is a very single minded person he's not somebody you need to kind of chivvy along you present your case if he likes it he'll go for it and we've also and we've also talked about how the circumstances at mclaren were conducive to him leaving so they didn't need to convince him on that score or give him the confidence to do it in that regard they needed to present a good case and make it very clear he'll get what he needed. And as we'll get on to later, it's very, very clear that that Lauda didn't strengthen Jaguar's position in the long term. Quite the contrary, in fact, given the concerns about his involvement. So it's just strategically problematic. You deal with different people in different ways. Nicky Lauda is very kind of one size fits all he has a certain way of doing things and everyone knows that and he can probably afford to do that because he's Nicky Louder and he's got a certain status but AJ knew he's got a certain status as well and that just just didn't work so yeah you've got to be patient let it come to you it's a much more reflective quiet process than kind of a pushy contract negotiation
2: understandably Louder's brief stint at Jaguar wasn't something he spoke about very often in the years afterwards, but he told an interesting little tale about what it was like working for Ford in an interview with Motorsport Magazine in 2017. Lauda said, Jaguar had potential, but Ford's approach was too corporate. When I joined, the main accountant told me that this was a Ford company, so I had to read the compliance book. I asked what it said, and he told me that if I took a sparkling mineral water from the hotel minibar, I had to pay, but if I took a still water, I didn't. I just decided to pay my own bills in the hotels because I didn't want to be bothered by Ford's stupid rules. When they got rid of me, the compliance team asked to check my account. If there had been a single unaccounted bottle of sparkling water, they might not have paid off my contract, but as I'd settled all my own bills, there was no account and they had to pay compensation. He also said he introduced Red Bull to Jaguar as a potential sponsor, but Ford said the two companies weren't compatible. Nicky's response to that was, I could never understand why. Didn't they want to sell Fords to young people? So Andy, as someone who worked for Jaguar on a slightly lower rung on the ladder than Nikki Lauda, can you relate to the story about compliance there? Did you pay for all of your bottles of sparkling water? Oh, well, I was never allowed sparkling water. Um- <laughs>
3: I do I do remember there being a lot of forms to fill in for stuff like that and a, and a ridiculously uh, complex case of what you could claim for and what you couldn't and even, even at my sort of lowly salary I thought, I'm just going to have a beer I'm just going to have a beer um, rather than worry about whether I could claim it or not um, but he was absolutely right about Ford's uh, ultimate mentality just not being cut out for formula one and having that sort of corporate thing uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, similarities in the failure of jaguar and, and toyota with both of them trying to use a, a, a something that worked in the car industry and, and make it work in motorsport but history tells us nothing if not that that doesn't work um on the sort of website side of things it became when well, we launched with this just the most enormous budget uh, and we would Really be pushing the envelope, doing some incredibly creative things. Uh, we had this amazing development team where we would pretty much come up with anything. We were really leading the way, probably too far, given most people were still on dial-up then in the days before broadband uh, was commonplace. But you could just see as, the, as it went on, more t- into 2002, that the budgets were just being cut and the level of creativity were really being clamped down upon it became much more corporate and much more conservative and really not that fun to be a part of whereas at the beginning when everything was possible and it was all new and exciting it was a it was a really a great place to work we used to we had this massive driver's club um where people i think it was 150 pounds a year we had something like 10,000 members in that first year it was unbelievable and they put on these great events we had this day at silverstone where the irvine was taking everyone out in x types and all that sort of thing and it was it was fantastic and all of that just stopped um and yeah i think ultimately uh, that's that's why i left or that was far less significant than uh, nikki Lauder and his compensation package
4: i bet you were spending all the profits on mineral water sparkling mineral water i should say <laughs>
3: only, only the best ed only the best
2: i think you're doing yourself down there i'm sure you were influential to jaguar as well actually i'm not going to say you were influential to jaguar's performance that'd be a massive insult no. <laughs> <laughs> oh well
3: fast or slow or whatever the, the the only uh the internet speed was anything i had to complain about yeah
2: a much bigger problem sort of 20 odd years ago as well um, so, Ray Hall and Newey met again, this time without Lauda, and they shook hands on a deal for Newey to join Jaguar in 2002 when his McLaren contract was up. This hadn't been a straightforward deal for Ray Hall to get over the line, though, on the Ford side, you'll be shocked to hear. He said on Beyond the Grid, I'll never forget having to explain to the head treasurer of Ford's premier automotive group why I felt it was worth X amount of dollars to get Adrian Newey. It would shorten our learning curve dramatically, so therefore it's probably worth whatever that was going to cost. It took me all day, and I remember saying to myself, why should something so obvious take so long? At that last line there, is that perhaps the ultimate sign we can have of how ill-equipped Ford was to run an F1 team?
4: I'm not sure whether it's the ultimate, but that's purely because there are so many tales like this that are all... (laughs) Spoiled for choice. Exactly. They're all equally stupid. But what's just remarkable is how universal a derision of Ford's corporate oversight of this team was. Fine, it's not just about flinging money at an F1 team and let it be the Wild West. You've got to have a certain amount of oversight. But grasping the concept of signing the preeminent aerodynamic mind in F1 history, the guy who's won everything in the, the years before that... Is going to be worth every single dollar and cent. You might need to spend two minutes having Bobby Rahal explain that to you. And then you might, I don't know, pick up a copy of Autosport or I suppose we're in the US I Army mean, Auto Week or something, see how he's referred to. And you might actually get a little bit of support for that. But, you know, you're signing the best people. And that's not complicated, even for a corporate car company. But it just shows the sort of ponderousness of it and the failing to realise that that, you know, in the automotive world, it's a big pool. I imagine there's probably a handful of absolutely crack people you can sign for various things, but there's only one Adrian Newey. F1 is so specialised, so focused. You shouldn't have to grasp that difficulty. It reminds me of that story about the, the bafflement about Eddie Irvine being Eddie Irvine being the highest paid uh, employee at Jaguar and them just not understanding what the whole thing was. It wasn't building road cars. It was racing prototype race cars in, in Formula One. Shouldn't be difficult to understand, but this was just Ford absolutely all over. On that note,
3: the other thing they really didn't get is at that, that time they didn't have a wind tunnel, which is why I'm, I couldn't really understand what Nui saw. They were using Swift, and they had something like two hundred days, but it was in California, so you could use those days in the winter, and then you might be able to use it. But You couldn't use them in between races because by the time you got out there, did the work and came back or whatever. And all the people who came in after Gary, whether it was uh, the Hansford guy and um, I forget, um, Agathangelou and all these people, they would all instantly start moaning about the wind tunnel and being able to do anything. And it's like they told all these people have told you what the solution is. Get the wind tunnel sorted, and they eventually they got some old RAF place that was being used in the war. It was like on a one-fifth scale, or it was. They never ever got their head around the infrastructural
4: work that was needed to become a competitive F one team. And in fact, Gary Anderson has talked about pushing for the wind tunnel at the time he was there for the start of Jaguar. In fact, I think they even looked at the wind tunnel site that Red Bull subsequently acquired. So, of course, they. people were talking about it for right from the start. But it, 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 but again, what you talked about there with the uh, with the US-based tunnel, it's because that was Ford's tunnel. That was their thing. You use our stuff, you do it our way, and that's what it was about. That was far more important than the results were any good. And if you do that in Formula
2: One, if the process is your objective, then well, you're not going to get anywhere. Correct. Now, amusingly, when Rahul tells the story of trying to get Newey from McLaren, he says the reason it started to go wrong was because somebody said something to Ron Dennis and all of a sudden everything got a bit more complicated. Well, Bobby, we can let you know that that someone was Adrian Newey, and this is Newey's version of events. He said, the next day I went into Ron's office and said, Ron, I'm afraid I've got some news. We don't seem to be getting anywhere with this contract negotiation, so I've decided to join Jaguar. And Newey said Ron went the colour of his office walls, which I would imagine were grey. And then this is the exchange that followed. Ron said, you can't. Well, I said, I'm afraid I can. I don't want you to. I said, well, I'm sorry, but you really should have thought about that before you played hardball on negotiations. Newey then left Ron's office and took the afternoon off to take his kids to the cinema. When he emerged from watching The Mummy Returns and switched his phone on, he realised all hell was breaking loose. He also had a message from his wife saying Ron's not taking this lying down. Andy, despite the initial offer of a pay cut, was it always to be expected that if faced with the realistic prospect of losing Newey, Ron would then sit up and take serious notice.
3: Yeah, I think that is the logical next step in in these series of events. Because who else was he going to get that was going to be able to replace Newey at that point in time? He was a one of a kind. He'd been, you know, he'd taken McLaren back into the winner's circle. He was still designing absolutely cutting edge cars, even if the Mercedes engines were letting them down uh, in the reliability stakes. But what else was he going to do ultimately? Plus. He also had the threat of creating a genuine rival. You know, we know what subsequently would have happened. And I, I think it was a fair guess that had he gone there, it wouldn't have worked. But it might have done, right? If if Newey had gone to Jaguar, they might well have cut the chase to being where Red Bull is now. And that would have been a, a big problem for McLaren at that time.
2: Ron and his wife Lisa arrived at Newey's home in an attempt to thrash out a deal Newey said, Ron rubbished Jaguar's aspirations, warned me of a power struggle between Nicky and Bobby, asked if I wanted to end up working for Nicky, which is what would happen if Nicky won that particular power struggle. Newey called this a masterstroke from Ron because he was only interested in going to work for Rahul and he didn't want to become a pawn in a Ford management-backed power struggle within the team. Dennis also matched Jaguar's financial offer and promised Newey he could have the freedom to explore projects outside of F1, such as the America's Cup sailing competition. Ultimately, Newey felt the Jaguar move was too big a career risk, so after leaving the room to discuss it with his wife, he went back to Ron and agreed to stay. Rahul is aware of this too. He said recently, Ron was very good at describing what life under Ford would be like compared to life under McLaren, and that ended up being proven to be right. Ed, we've heard plenty of stories in the past about how good Ron Dennis could be at negotiating on his day, usually more on the sponsor side. Was this perhaps one of the finest examples of that? In terms of the short-term response to that problem,
4: yeah, it was very well done. He pushed out everything, pulled out all the stops, made sure that it happened. So genuine pragmatism there. And the problem is that this is part of a wider negotiation though, isn't it? And he could probably have got Newey much, much cheaper and more easily, avoiding all of this, had it been dealt with the previous year. So I think we have to, if we look look at it just at this, yeah, well done. If we look at the wider picture, not ideal, because you've kind of caused this situation. There are ways it could have been avoided. And as we said, when you're dealing with basically... The first person you'd have on your fantasy F1 team sheet to to design your car it's particularly absurd that that it got to this but I mean all credit to him for recognizing the weak points both in terms of the Jaguar proposition and in terms of newey's outlook obviously Ron Dennis knew louder as well so he will have had some understanding of the way things were going and the way louder would conduct himself so yeah he he is he is sharp at this sort of thing and dennis is good at gathering information from elsewhere that he can then use to further his own cause in negotiation so it's it's a bit of a cure it's egg if you look at it kind of on that day yeah well done look at it over the previous 12 months not necessarily ideal but at least he's tidied up after his own mess
2: yeah it's that classic example isn't it of getting a pat on the back for putting out the fire that you started so he only deserves so much praise for that so anyway problem solved right not really Uh, Newey informed Jaguar of his decision to stay with McLaren on the evening of May the 31st. Uh, A press release announcing his move to Jaguar had been planned for early the next day, but Newey and McLaren claimed it was agreed this would now not happen. Then June the 1st rolled around, and sure enough, Jaguar announced it had signed Adrian Newey. The release featured quotes from Rahul, Lauda and Newey about the move. Rahul said Newey would help uh, Jaguar towards championship contention describing him as the man responsible for generating more speed in F1 than any driver or engine out there. Lauda said it showed Jaguar was deadly serious about its F1 ambitions and a pretty lengthy quote from Newey talked about it being a difficult decision to leave McLaren but he, uh, the prospect of working with Rahul and the challenge offered by Jaguar was irresistible. So, I'm about to put my feet up for a few minutes and enjoy this. Andy, you were behind the wheel on the Jaguar F1 website. What was going on over the course of however many hours this went on for?
3: Oh, God, it was utter, utter mayhem. So, I'm pretty sure that that press release had been timed so that it had gone into autosport that week. Was it, was it top story in the mag that week?
2: Yeah, I think so. Big, big, big exclusive, kind of big revealed... Yeah, yeah big it's
3: probably four pages or all, all the details and everything in so been helping to make all that happen and then we got the story on the in the cms on the site ready to go i think we'd had a, a look back at the ray hall relationship with a load of pics and something like that and definitely a profile of Newey and ranking all of his um statistics and achievements and all of this stuff and i don't even think i was in work i think i was because back in those days, because Jaguar didn't pay me anything, I was was cycling to work because I couldn't afford a car, Um, and my phone's just ringing and ringing and ringing in my pocket, and eventually I stopped to take it, and it's Nav Sadu, who's the uh, chief press officer there, and I go don't let anything go up and literally just having this massive panic it was like all right right right. it's not gone up yet think it's supposed to go at nine o'clock or whatever it was so i legged it into work got in there and then make sure that everything was stripped out of cms and nothing was going to go up on time or whatever but there was no sort of indication about what was going on or why it was just like stop it going up now um it was just a complete mess uh yeah brilliant day really i think by about half past nine when you know it was clear that no one knew what was going on i just sort of put my feet up and watched telly for the rest of the day it was uh, yeah it was a, a really one of those wonderful little moments in time where you, you know you're being a, a small part of history because i could i could see not that bring back v10s would be happening in the future but at some point in time i would get to tell this story in a way that was relevant and interesting
2: well i'm delighted we've uh, we've come up with a platform for that i can only imagine we talked about starting fire putting out fires that you've started yourself i can only imagine how many hypothetical fires there were by that by nine o'clock
3: oh i've never had this many missed calls in such a short period of time
2: (laughs) Please tell me you were cycling all the way to Milton Keynes every day from somewhere in London. No, no, I
3: was um, I was working out of um, Fulham uh, where Global no, Beach was. So, yeah, I was cycling from where I lived in Hammersmith to there. But that's not the sort of road you want to be going down trying to answer your phone while not being run over by a bus.
2: Fair point. Um, <laughs> once, uh, Once Andy had his feet up, McLaren wasted no time getting stuck into this. They released a lengthy statement later that day saying Newey had committed to staying at McLaren for another three years from the end of his existing deal in 2002. The team said McLaren, Mercedes and Adrian very much regret the confusion which will have been caused by statements released earlier today. However, both parties are delighted to continue this successful relationship. Newey was quoted again in this press release saying, whilst I am delighted to confirm my intention to remain at McLaren and recognize that there are many exciting opportunities ahead, I regret any speculation that has been caused by my conversations with my good friend, Bobby Rahal. I appreciate that I came very close to working with him again and have agonized over this decision. I informed him of my decision to remain at McLaren sometime prior to the release issued this morning by Jaguar Racing, but I understand that the mechanisms of this release made it impossible to stop, and I'm sorry for any embarrassment that it would have caused to my friends at Jaguar and McLaren. Jaguar released another short statement saying it had signed a contract with Newey, and therefore this was a matter for further discussion. So Andy, I'm going to make this a two-part question, really. Firstly, did further discussion mean it was inevitable we were heading for a legal battle but also, do you have any idea what these mechanisms were that meant the release couldn't be stopped?
3: Uh, I'm assuming it's because they had those two or pa- well, two or four pages in front of Autosport. <laughs> uh, they would have left them hanging. And Haymarket and Jaguar had a, uh, a relationship at the time when they were doing the corporate magazines and stuff. So I think they would have been that would have been quite hard to get out of. Um, but also. I can't believe they would have gone that far down the line without feeling that the contract was was pretty watertight so how could it not end up uh, going down a, a legal route um but that obviously would be well beyond my pay grade to have uh, to have known about it but I just it's one of those completely bizarre things that you could get something to that stage you know where you've convinced the biggest motorsport publication in Britain at the time to devote that number of pages to it you've been teasing this information out deliberately leaking it into these sources so that everyone's getting all excited about it if you didn't think it was done i mean it seems a a strange thing to speculate on um but i guess ultimately that sort of summed up the way that whole team was run
2: Yeah, it does seem they got a bit ahead of themselves. Uh, We'll unpick that a little bit later. Things developed over the following days. Lauda was quoted in the media as saying Newey had signed a contract with Jaguar. So if he had also signed a new deal with McLaren, then Nicky would be interested to see how he was going to design two separate Formula One cars for different teams from 2002. Uh, Nicky also said, Ron can jump up and down all he likes. We didn't steal Newey away from him. We did a deal for when his contract ends. Rahul was in Milwaukee this weekend for a cart event, and he told the US media in attendance, Adrian has signed a contract and he is legally committed to join Jaguar in 2003. I met with Adrian late Thursday night and we talked about his situation. He told me that Ron Dennis and he had spent most of the day talking about his role with McLaren. I accepted what Adrian had to say, but I told him he had an agreement with us." That same weekend, Jaguar released another statement saying, we have a legally binding commitment with Adrian Newey, which has been violated by his apparent signing of a contract extension with McLaren. We intend to defend our rights through the proper legal channels. This all happened around the time F1 teams had been debating if the contract recognition board that was set up to rule on any disputes over driver contracts needed to be expanded to include the highest level team employees as well. FIA President Max Mosley said no progress had been made during recent discussions about that, which had been prompted by Toyota taking Gustav Brunner from Minardi. Now, we mentioned that in our Toyota 2001 episode many moons ago. And Mosley said the FIA wouldn't be intervening on the new saga, stating we have no position on this. Ed, looking perhaps in a, in a wider context, not just around this, but F one in general, would it make sense for the Contract Recognition Board to apply to top team personnel as well? It's one of those things that it's very easy to say, "Oh yeah, that's a good idea," but I'm, I'm just not really sure how
4: practical it would be. There's a lot of personnel involved, and I don't believe you can only apply it to the senior team personnel. It really have to cover everyone, surely, wouldn't it? Because then you'll start talking about potential sporting penalties and all sorts of things. The CRB for drivers is very specific because it's a small group. They're all direct sporting competitors. Should we say, yes, team employees work for a competitor team, but it's still not quite the same thing. Plus, drivers are also more prone to having what you might call conflicting contracts because sometimes you have contracts with a sponsor entity and an employee, and it's a little bit like how sebastian vettel was a red bull contracted driver but he had a red bull uh, he had a bmw deal as well and that went to contract recognitions board because they were doing slightly different things in terms of how they employed him and that doesn't really happen with team technical personnel uh, does it and i think the other problem is we have seen in recent times i mean the crb is a basically an independent body that the fia has caused to 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 exist and the fia might have been embroiled in these sorts of things because there have been cases recently with fia personnel fia personnel joining teams lauren Mechies went to ferrari martin bukowski when he went to Renault, for example so i don't think it would even be independent enough so i think it's one of those things that you say well that's a good idea and then as soon as you think about any of the detail you say oh actually no this doesn't work you know the world of contract law exists this is the world of general contract law isn't it so leave that to the real courts i think
2: One voice that came out in sympathy towards Newey was another legendary designer who'd worked at McLaren as well, John Barnard. Barnard said he'd been in a similar situation when he was wooed by Ferrari while still working at McLaren. And he said it can be hard to resist all the private jet treatment and the pressure to sign something committing you to the team that wants you. But he also sympathised with Newey having to work with Ron Dennis. Barnard and Dennis had formed a formidable partnership at McLaren in the 1980s, but Barnard said, "'Ron doesn't understand the kind of pressure a designer has. After a time, you start to wonder how you can keep the momentum up, and it is something that requires tremendous effort. I don't think Ron appreciates that. Not with me, and now not with Adrian.'" Addy, do you think Barnard was right that Dennis didn't understand what made superstar designers tick?
3: Well, who am I to argue with John Barnard about this? I mean, he he was there, he worked with him, and I'm sure, you know, has uh, very firmly, deeply held opinions on it. Um, From the outside looking in, I guess that's probably right. Um, But I think at the time, uh, the role of Martin Whitmarsh was quite prominent in the general management of the team with the matrix management thing that he'd brought in from British Aerospace, which was... Quite sensible, really, if you think about the way that Formula 1 teams had evolved, even when Barnard was there and the size of the departments and uh, the amount of technology that was coming in. You think where we are at the beginning of the 2000s, we we're just about to hit that uh, amazing era of probably the highest tech F1 cars ever. Okay, they didn't have the active stuff of the ones in the 90s, but in terms of the other things were being developed on the car, did you just want that one guy... Or could one guy be responsible for running all of it? And not really. You know, you need that management system underneath. And maybe uh, a superstar designer, as Barnard might call it, uh, didn't work in that environment. But, but maybe they were becoming a bit of an anachronism anyway. Um, so I think I do have maybe some sympathy with, uh, with Ron Dennis there. If you've got to manage a team, then you you're also trying to manage the egos. But... In classic Ron way, you know, there were probably better ways of going about it. that didn't necessarily ruffle quite so many feathers.
2: The next race on the F1 calendar was the Canadian Grand Prix and unsurprisingly, Newey didn't attend, although McLaren claimed that was always the plan as he had work to do back at the factory. Rahul was there though, and he fought Jaguar's corner saying the team was pursuing all legal options and declaring we have not seen the end of this for some time. He also quoted Dennis from the recent discussion between the team bosses over the Bruno Minardi situation, where Ron rather unfortunately made a big statement saying, when you enter into a contract or an agreement that is effectively a contract, you should honour it unless both parties agree to end or change it. Hall also spoke about his friendship with Newey, which, as we said earlier, dated back to their time in IndyCar together in the 1980s. Bobby said, Friendship is always based on trust and good faith. Obviously, I feel that these have both been severely damaged in this situation. Newey spoke for the first time outside of McLaren's statements on the Sunday of the Canadian Grand Prix in the News of the World newspaper in the UK. He spoke of his friendship with Rahul too, saying... The person I am concerned about in all this is Bobby. He is a good friend and I don't want to upset him. Perhaps this shows the dangers of mixing friendship with business. I really hope our friendship can weather this. Ed, the friendship between Newey and Rahul was mentioned constantly during this saga, including on multiple occasions in that initial Jaguar press release for signing Newey. Did this mess perhaps show that friendship and business are a bad combination? I guess it depends on how you look
4: at it, doesn't it? It's clear that that connection, that friendship, was what made this deal possible in the first place. So that's a positive. But from the tone of of those comments, particularly with the fact Newey kind of saying, I hope our friendship can weather this, suggests that maybe Newey felt he'd been a little bit incorrect in, in, in agreeing to whatever he agreed to and then reversing that position. So there's kind of a, a hint of apologeticness in that. It's a funny one, though, because we know that Newey getting jumpy about Rahul's future with the team was a big part in his reason for staying with McLaren. I spoke to Newey a few years ago about this, and he, he cited that as one of the big reasons that he was getting wind of that, and we talked about Newey, uh, we talked about Ron Dennis talking about it, but I imagine Newey was sending out his own feelers as well. I also wonder, given how close Rahul and Newey were, what back-channeling, so to speak, was going on at this stage. I can't imagine that Newey wouldn't have spoken to Ray Hall about some of this directly. It just seems a little bit odd to agree the thing with Jaguar, then agree the thing with McLaren, and then it all sort of goes public, shall we say. So I wonder what was going on there. You've also got to remember that obviously Ray Hall was actually on a trajectory that would see him leave the team in the not too distant future. So what did he know about it? Did Ray Hall know that perhaps actually I've got you into this? Perhaps you're legitimately getting yourself out? I imagine. These will have been private conversations, will not necessarily ever know really what was going on there. So, there's a lot of ways in which their friendship could have influenced this whole situation. But at its root, if there wasn't that connection, I doubt he would ever really have seriously thought about joining Jaguar in the first place. So, it was a positive there. And I don't think we can assume the public statements that were made and even what's been said since tells you absolutely the whole story about those two individuals and how they interacted and how they feel about the way each other conducted themselves.
2: Newey said in his book that it was about a year later that he and Rahul patched things up and they remain close friends to this day. Also in this News of the World interview, Newey explained that his closeness to Rahul had persuaded him to go down a road that I might not have gone down in different circumstances by agreeing to join Jaguar. He went on to explain that part of his logic in considering a move away from McLaren was to keep his mind fresh. He said, I'm a designer and like anyone in my situation, I'm trying to be creative and to do that, you need to look for new stimulation. There is always a danger of getting tired and suffering something equivalent to writer's block and wondering where the next big idea is coming from. This is a high pressure sport and with that constant pressure, you are looking for a new stimulus and changing jobs is one way of doing that. Ed, do you think top F1 designers can be at risk of going stale or getting their equivalent of writer's block, as, as Newey called it, if they stay in the same place for too long? Yeah, it can certainly happen. I mean, the general principle is fairly well established, particularly for people who are working
4: in, shall we say, creative endeavours. Of course, what Newey's doing, there's a great foundation in science, in mathematics, in physics. Those are your, your tools. But the ideas and what you bring to that, the creativity, the vision, is a little bit more intangible. If you've ever tried to read anything that tries to define exactly how creativity works you will find it's a very kind of nebulous idea so it's a, a kind of culmination of a lot of factors and yeah environment can be one of them so i can believe that someone like New he's always looking for new challenges and in fact his interest in things like america's cup in terms of doing road car projects obviously red bull have recently announced this rb17 which is a f1 performance level car available to ordinary people if you include people with eight figure plus bank balances in ordinary people so yeah it's it's a culmination of things and i think someone like Newey, he'll always be looking at challenges and things that excite him where he can apply that vision to some doing something a little bit different and i imagine Jackie would probably appeal to him a little bit on that score and in fact we know that what he did later with red bull Appeal to him because it was the kind of small team at the time coming up and being kind of his his project rather than being part of someone else's team so yeah I I can imagine that obviously the fact that Newey then stayed with McLaren shows that it wasn't that hard for him to stay in that environment but I can believe that someone with a mind like that will always be looking at new environments and I think everyone will know no matter what line of work or what, what they do with their lives There'll be times where the environment or, or, or whatever prevailing situations aren't quite right for them. So, yeah, I don't blame him. Or maybe he kind of road tested it with a Jaguar deal and thought, actually, I don't really like this. And, and that's part of the reason why he backtracked. Who knows? Oh, did, did he ever do the America's Cup project? the McLaren one never happened did it because yeah Ron Dennis promised a a, a big deal and and it never happened I think because Red Bull have had some involvement in America's Cup since haven't they so I'm sure knew he's dipped his toe in the water there pun intended and yeah it's just one of those things that's never quite quite happened I don't think America's Cup's something you really do in your spare time is it it's uh, I think it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing
3: it always seemed like a weird add-on to it and it suddenly struck me when That never happened, did it? You know, It didn't take a year off to design a boat that we were unaware of.
4: Probably realising that it's not very easy for an F1 team wholesale to go into the America's Cup, particularly with how esoteric that whole competition is. I went to Mercedes last year to speak with them about the whole America's Cup project they're involved in, and the whole competition's really, really odd in the way you negotiate and agree the regulations and that kind of thing. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if that played a part, because... It's quite political, all sports are, but just even the regulations are political and based on negotiation, even more so than an F1, where at least once you've got a rule book, you've got a rule book. So I wonder if Newey decided that perhaps America's Cup wasn't quite as exciting as it was, and he had other things he, he wanted to do.
2: Maybe that's why Mercedes have done it. That they, They're planning to launch their own bid for him in the future, and they feel that America's Cup is the one thing no one's ever delivered for him, so... There you go. Well, we'll get to that when we do bring back hybrids in about 20 years' time. Bring back boats. <laughs> <laughs> the next move, bring back wheels. The next move in this affair came from Jaguar, which got a brief injunction to prevent Newey being able to sign a contract extension with McLaren while this case was ongoing. Ahead of a court hearing scheduled for the 12th of June, both team bosses laid out their feelings on the matter. Rahul said, I'm not bitter, We have a legally binding agreement and that was ignored. Unfortunately, it has gone to the courts, and I am the last person in the world who wants to see that happen, but I have to defend our rights and defend the company. The facts are on our side. If the court rules in our favour, then it's a pretty terminal situation for McLaren. Dennis seemed incredibly relaxed, saying, Everybody in life changes their mind. It happens to all of us. He changed his mind. He's not working for Jaguar, he's working for McLaren. What has been presented to you has been misleading. It has not been factual, and as things unfold at the appropriate time, you will come to appreciate that. Andy, is it fair enough that people can change their mind, as Ron so casually put it, or is that besides the point here, especially given what he'd said previously about honouring? contracts or agreements
3: yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because as we discussed earlier about the the world of contract law um and especially what uh, ron had said in regard to that minardi brunner thing um but equally and we've seen this a lot in football people aren't slaves and you can't force them into doing things they don't want to do just because of a little bit of paper that's been signed or whatever um statement of understanding or whatever it was that uh, that knew signed with jaguar you you simply can't force people into doing things against their will um and probably even more so now than it was then um But equally, then, you know, what is the point in contract law? And if if that's one of the sort of underpinnings of the whole of Western civilization as we know it. So it's a really tricky one, and I'd say all very F1. Um, But in the end of the day, uh, Adrian Newey dodged a bullet by not going to Jaguar, um, and that's pretty much that.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's anyone that thinks that uh, Newey's career trajectory would have been any better if he'd made this move. The day in court was delayed to the 13th of June at McLaren's request. And then on the 13th, McLaren and Jaguar reached a settlement, which they announced via a joint statement. Newey would stay at McLaren in what was described as an amicable resolution. The joint statement said, Jaguar Racing now understands the circumstances in which the confusion between McLaren and Adrian Newey arose and has therefore decided to accept McLaren's apologies over this matter. Dennis and Newey both apologised publicly, with Newey expressing his regret over the situation. Uh, On behalf of the Ford Jaguar side, Nicky Lauda said the apologies were gracious and fully accepted by Jaguar. Details of the settlement were kept private. Journalist Alan Henry, who was one of the first to break the initial story about Newey going to Jaguar, said McLaren covered Jaguar's legal fees of around £30,000. And both teams furiously dismissed a report in the official F1 magazine that claimed McLaren paid Jaguar a million pounds in compensation. And for me, the crazy thing is this was all in a fortnight that this all took place. Were you surprised at how quickly and then suddenly how simply it was all concluded?
3: That oh, it's genuinely unbelievable. You know, how can you be stating that this is going to end really badly for McLaren because everything's on our side to then go, oh, yeah, that's all fine. Yeah, no, so it's all it's all been sorted out. We're 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 moving on. Um, I'd dearly love to know the full details of, of what was there because whatever Jaguar's defence was, it was constructed on tissue paper by the looks of it. Um and there's clearly some really vital details missing here that um for I don't know, protecting the friendship between the two of them or something along the line that has not really come to light. Uh I it's I can't really remember working there at the time what the reaction was uh, to all of this because obviously you know uh, I think um, we, <laughs> as the communications department we'd sort of just ducked our heads down for a little while and we were just waiting for the flak to to pass us by but I don't recall hearing any internal rumors about what had taken place or anything like that we'd all heard the million quid rumor um but I don't think anyone really believed that because that was about what um Jaguar was spending on um, private jet flights to California uh, every week, so it didn't really make much difference to Ford or not. But a really weird one that something that looked seemingly so divisive could be settled so quickly and so amicably. It doesn't really make any sense, does it?
2: No. I love the tissue paper reference. I've now got a picture of kind of Adrian Newey plus Jaguar written on tissue paper and a few scribbles, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then they've turned up in court going, well, look at this. Come on, it's binding. <laughs> Legally binding tissue. <laughs> yeah. So why then did Jaguar end up accepting what seemed like such a flimsy settlement? From our extensive research, which I'll admit became pretty stressful as I tried to tie this detail down and couldn't find it anywhere. Newey has only mentioned once in public, it appears, what he did sign with Jaguar. This takes us back to the Royal Automobile Club talk show interview with Motorsport Magazine. Newey said, I was really right on the point of joining them, and I will be honest, I did actually sign a kind of letter of intention that I would join. To go back to those John Barnard quotes we heard earlier, when he referenced his own experience of being courted by Ferrari, he said, I signed a letter of agreement, but they are not very binding. So, Ed, if Newey signed a letter of intent to join Jaguar, perhaps on paper, perhaps on tissue, but nothing else, does that mean Jaguar had a weak case once it went legal with McLaren or should a letter of intent be enough for him not to be able to back out of it?
4: Well ultimately that's a legal question isn't it? I'm I'm not a lawyer but what I do know about letters of intent is they're not contracts. If they were they'd be called contracts. There are some cases where a letter of intent has been interpreted as constituting a contract but they're very specific. It sounds like this one was too vague and In the broad sense, it just becomes an ethical question, doesn't it? If you signed a letter of intent on a personal level, do you think that's binding? Is it as binding as a handshake or whatever? But, yeah, obviously Newey didn't think that was the case, but he was happy to admit that he did sign something, so he was aware that he'd made some form of of undertaking. But it clearly wasn't enough. And the other thing we have to remember is that when McLaren were negotiating this new Newey deal, I have no doubt they'll have probably seen what he signed or at least Newey would have told them what he said because several things. First, I would imagine that McLaren will have had to accept that they might have to make some outlay to make this happen legally, so they'll needed to have known how much it was. I imagine they'll have had to discuss that with Newey as well. Plus, there's also the the legal principle of you're not allowed to induce someone else to break a contract. So if they were shown this letter of intent or told about the contents and it was properly powerfully binding that could have put them in a worse position so I think the fact McLaren was willing to be so aggressive in what they did the fact that Jaguar backed down quite quickly and for what it is for losing Adrian Newey the the greatest technical signing you could possibly imagine that's not a a big award is it so I think all the evidence points to the fact it, it was a weak case on a personal basis whether you think it's binding or not is up to you but from a legal basis it's very very clear there was something there but yeah we are in the realms of of tissue paper that just needed that small pull to fall apart rather than it being something rock solid that needed to be blasted apart by some kind of massive uh, financial award
2: before we move on to some of the ramifications at McLaren let's have one last mention of Rahul he gave an interview to the Jaguar website which presumably Andy was involved in where he said it was a good opportunity to sign off the Adrian Newey saga once and for all. Bobby added, let's close this chapter here and now by saying that Adrian was just an addition. Value added, not an exchange for anybody at Jaguar Racing. The guys know that I'm very pleased with what's going on with our aerodynamics and what we are doing is beginning to bear fruit. This was in mid-June and before the end of August, Rahal was gone with Lauda taking sole charge, as had been predicted by Ron Dennis. Andy, do you think the failure to get Newey and the, the public and embarrassing way this played out became a hammer blow for Rahul at Jaguar?
3: I reckon I did that interview at Brands Hatch where the F3 event that was on there because um, Jaguar Brilliant. had the, the F3 team. I'm pretty sure. Um, yes. No, 100%. That was the end for him. Um the combination of you know the him going out on a limb to get his man uh who was going to transform the team coupled with how disastrously things were going on on track further coupled with uh you mentioned right at the top that Reitzler had come in and Lauda was his man and this uh, premier automotive group was very much swinging towards the Germanic side of things meant that he w- he was absolutely toast um Lauda had, had won um I mean, a pheric war, I guess, because you know he, he was gone not long after and didn't make much of an impact there. Um, but I have to say, I did feel sorry for Rahal. Uh, I really liked him. He was a really um, warm and welcoming guy. You know, spoke to everyone around him that, that no matter what level, he would give you their time. And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't feel that he was treated particularly brilliantly. But I guess ultimately, maybe he was just a bit too much of a nice guy for F1.
2: Let's hear from Rahul then. Bobby very generously gave up some of his time to speak to me about this whole scenario and to help fill in some of the blanks for us. We released a full interview to the Race Members Club after this series has finished, but for now, here's a cut-down version of our conversation that covers the key parts of this story.
5: You know, I mean, obviously, when I uh, accepted the offer from Ford... I mean, it was something that you know anybody would, especially if you had a a previous relationship. Anybody would have thought, "Boy, wouldn't it be fantastic if he could convince Adrian to make the move and and to come over?" Um, uh, Adrian would have always, you know, if we could have brought Adrian in, that would have been the ideal uh, situation for me. You know, I think, you know, Adrian was at a a point in time, I think, where he was, you know, he was looking to do other things or do some things and or maybe, I I know the one uh, comment he made to me one time was that um, what he really missed about a team like Williams, for example, was that it was a racing team, whereas McLaren was this conglomerate of various, uh, you know, entities. Uh, And I think Adrian liked the, the simplicity of a racing team. I guess you'd say Red Bulls very similar to that. And and of course, Jaguar at the time kind of presented that same environment, maybe a simpler environment. I mean, the fact that it was you know, Jaguar and an English firm. Um, so, you know, I uh, spoke with Adrian on a number of occasions uh, and um, uh, we were, you know, we made a lot of good progress.
2: For all the Ford politics that there were in the background, do you think without... The presence of Nikki, you could have at least got it over the line with Adrian.
5: Well, you know Nikki, of course, know, you, you know Nikki's not here to defend himself, but um, I think Nikki complicated uh, things for sure. Um, you know, I also know that Nikki did not get on with with uh, Ron, and I think there were some comments made, personal comments made, that undermined uh, our. Kind of agreement with um, with Adrian, uh, or understanding. I guess maybe would be another word. Um, In any event, um, yeah, I I think that, and I think you know, as as you asked, you know, about Nikki, I think Nikki complicated the situation, and um, and uh, and I you know know, and I think Adrian was concerned that if he came on, that Adrian or that uh, Nikki would relieve me of my command, and 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 Adrian didn't want to work for Nikki. I think I think he's made that clear. So as a result, um, it didn't happen, which is a shame.
2: But uh, you mentioned earlier that you know you got so close to getting the agreement over the line. Right. What, did Adrian sign? Did he sign a contract? Was it a letter of intent? Can you can you remember exactly? You know what did you get his signature on?
5: Uh, I believe it was a it was a binding memorandum of understanding, something like that. That was the full intent for everybody, but uh, yeah, there there were outside forces that contrived to um, to uh, uh, undermine, you know, the the this memorandum of agreement.
2: Yeah, and is is that why you you guys suddenly went from fighting it legally? You know, you, you kind of you were thrust into the role on race weekends of kind of being the spokesman for the legal action that Jaguar wanted to take at the time. And then obviously in the week of the hearing that was planned, the two teams settled and it didn't look like Jaguar got or Ford got much out of that. Why?
5: No, Nick, what- yeah. Nikki took over that discussion. Um, and that's when the court, you know, the lawyers were lined up and everybody was going to, you know, everybody, you know, swords were drawn, you know, and then, um, and then uh, Nikki and Ron uh, came to an agreement where I believe, uh, uh, I think they, they they announced that yes, while well, there had been a, uh, an, an, an understanding or an agreement that in the end it was not going to happen. And it was kind of a, a mea culpa by McLaren, but it was kind of a way for everybody to walk away and save some legal money, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I think at, at that time everybody uh, felt that there was not much uh, point in arguing. And going forward so, and so in the end jaguar probably didn't get what they should have
2: do you, do you think if if adrian had come in and you two would have been able to form that close bond that you've both spoken about would that have oh, changed think, your fate at jaguar
5: oh I, I think so for sure and i think it would have changed the fate of jaguar period it would have been uh, just a, a, a you know a bolt of lightning because now you've got the greatest engineer, greatest designer in the history of Formula One. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty accurate to say that. Yeah, I mean that would have supercharged our development. Obviously, uh, it would have saved Ford Motor Company a lot of money. Uh, you know, even though uh, you know Adrian earned a very good income, uh, it would have shortcutted a lot of that development process for a team like like Jaguar. And of course, that that uh, that would have been very exciting to see what would have happened.
2: Great stuff from Bobby there. And as I said before, there's, there's lots more of that conversation that uh, our members will get to hear. Let's move on to McLaren then. At the next race at the Nürburgring, Ron Dennis made the surprising admission that he felt the newbie saga had affected McLaren's on-track performances by putting the team a little off balance. Ron said, to really have consistent results, you've got to have complete harmony. So when something comes along that is a distraction, it does have an impact on the performance of the team. He went on to say it wouldn't have any lasting effect and dismissed any suggestions that McLaren had lost its way in a wider sense. David Coulthard, who was McLaren's lead driver in 2001, told the BBC he was surprised to hear Ron's comments. Coulthard said, it does not sound like him at all. Naturally, there was an interest in the issue, but I didn't see it affecting the engineers. I don't think it held up the development of the car this year, though it might have delayed the development of next year's car for a few days. Ed, was Ron overplaying this a bit here? The new Jaguar issue only lasted about two weeks and there was only one race during that time. Well, there's always going to be a little bit of an effect.
4: I think we had on a recent episode where Mark Priestley was talking about uh, driver moving on, that it does have an effect on the rank and file and everything. But I I don't think it's something you can sort of say, oh, we've had a few iffy race weekends and it's because of this. I just don't think that. Well, I think that's just a a convenient excuse to throw in if you've perhaps not been your your absolute best performance-wise. So I can't imagine it was too seismic in its impact. And we know the way Newey works, he's enormously competitive. So I can't imagine he will have let it distract him too much. He will have continued to work away. Any impact would have been very, 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 very negligible. I'm sure people were talking about it. So I wonder if it's just like a Ron Dennis little having a having a bit of a nudge publicly just to sort of say, oh, you see what you've caused with all this because it's all been done and dusted and solved and probably couldn't resist doing it there's always that element in public statements isn't there for this kind of thing so yeah i can't imagine it was worthy of note really let's put it that way
2: yeah so this was perhaps a little nudge from ron there was a more lasting outcome which we've touched on already but we'll come back to it briefly here because newey's attempt to leave is what led to the infamous matrix management structure that andy mentioned earlier and this was a bid to prevent the team ever being so vulnerable to the departure of one person again. Newey explained this in his book saying, Ron kept me but he didn't like it. I suspect he didn't like the fact that one of his employees had become close to being indispensable and had in his eyes held him to ransom. Unbeknown to me, he charged Martin Whitmarsh with ensuring that this could never happen again. So, Newey became entwined in a structure with various department heads and performance creators. That sounds very McLaren. He declared that the new system didn't work, and he described it in his book as not an environment in which I flourished. He also said the structural changes led to the 2002 McLaren being a clumsy design, certainly not one of my best. So, Andy, you gave us a taste earlier of what you felt about this. So was it an understandable move from McLaren? Can you see why Ron would want to protect the team against Newey leaving in the future?
3: Yeah, I think it's wholly understandable and probably the right thing to do, whether it was executed in the right way. Um, as I was saying, you know, the, the way that teams were being built up, uh, then the size of them uh, from on a technical side, it's incredibly dangerous to leave all of that uh, just in the control of one man um no business should be reliant purely on one individual you need you need to be able to spread these things around have chains of succession or lines of succession and uh all, all these things work in in harmony to uh to create uh the best um solutions and uh, an atmosphere now whether they deliver that in the right way and whether knew was managed in the right way is obviously a moot point and one that he clearly you know uh was was unhappy with but i don't argue with the idea behind it i think ron was absolutely right to try and safeguard the team against a a similar event happening in the future
4: the question is, I guess, whether it was done for the wrong reason. If it was done to contain Newey rather than because it was the right way to do things, we can't escape the fact that if you look at, but that McLaren's was the reason history, he brought
3: Whitmarsh in though, wasn't it? It's because of his yeah.
4: expertise in running this sort of system. So yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a, an aerospace industry kind of idea. So that the principle is sound, but sometimes if it's the wrong motivation, it could not always work out. It's funny though because we just talked about the effect that it had on the team, but it's a complicated issue. But there has only been one world championship won by mclaren since this happened and that's down to a lot of factors but the loss of newey and the destabilizing perhaps of the effects of newey is part of that trajectory and that story so it's interesting to consider just how seismic in the big picture of mclaren this actually was having dismissed its its short-term effect maybe long-term it was a, it was a far bigger deal and i think the thing the key thing is that you always need the motivations to have been correct to create the right structure that works well and that works with someone like Adrian Newey because he is a very particular individual Red Bull's had great success with this and so that that's the thing that I wonder whether the structure was kind of imposed to contain Newey rather than to build from him to build on those are the kind of two different perspectives I, I'm thinking of there which is slightly nebulous but hopefully you kind of get vaguely what I'm uh, getting at there
2: yeah, I think we do. I'm sure the listeners do as well, Ed. Um, we're going to finish with the obvious point to to come to, which is, of course, four years later, Newey made the move to the very same Milton Keynes location where the team uh, was owned now by Red Bull, and that relationship hasn't done too badly. So it's obvious to ask, isn't it? Newey to Red Bull worked. Does that mean Newey to Jaguar would have as well? We put this question to Adrian uh, before that audio clip we played from him earlier and he puffed out his cheeks, paused and said, good question. Then declined to answer it, saying it was all if, buts and maybes. But Ed and Andy don't have the same luxury of being able to dodge the question. They've not designed enough championship winning F1 cars to be let off the hook. So let's see what you think. Ed, you can go first. Could Newey to Jaguar have worked? Could it have worked? absolutely
4: would it have worked no i don't think so red bull's success with newy was all about constructing itself technically in its own image building itself around his way of doing things and having a fast moving ownership that grasped what needed to happen to be a success in f1 everything about jaguar at this time that we've talked about ponderous ford leadership just indicates they'd have tried to take even as brilliant a square peg as newy and they'd have just try to ram him into this round corporate hole which he wouldn't have liked and it wouldn't have got the best out of him Ford Motor Company didn't get how important Newey was. You alluded to the fact that uh, that Rahul had to spend ages convincing Ford of it. And I know from people who spoke to some of the people there at, at, on the Ford side at the time that they didn't really understand who this guy Adrian Newey was and, and, his, and his value. So I can't see it. I can't see it happening. It would only have worked if Ford really got it, built the team around him and let it have that control. The evidence says that wouldn't have happened and of course it would also have needed to be willing to invest a huge amount because the direction of travel of that team as andy talked about earlier was very much going south wasn't it the the budgets were being reduced they were already starting to lose a little bit of interest even quite soon in in the project so yeah i imagine newey's hesitancy in asking that is he thought well if we did it the way we did it at red bull yeah we could have done it but he will know that ford will not have let that happen probably not anyway maybe he'll have thought he could have convinced them but I think everything we know about this situation says it was a very very lucky escape for Adrian Newey that he didn't go to to Jaguar and that's probably part of the reason why this whole debacle happened in the first place once he'd decided to to sign whatever he signed that letter of intent to, to go there
2: so yeah good decision in the end. Yeah, I think he called it a sort of letter of agreement or a letter of intent, didn't he? But Andy, you can have a last word. You saw what this team was like from the inside. Is there any chance Newey's arrival could have been the turning point?
3: I think it was one of the earlier respondents called it a sliding doors moment for them. But I think the only bit of the sliding doors there was how quickly it would have brought about their end because... All that signing Nui would have exposed was how little they understood how to succeed in Formula One. And uh, maybe they wouldn't have even had a billionaire like Mateschitz waiting to take over the ashes of their destroyed dreams of how easily they could have turned F1 into a winning machine for their Jaguar brand. No, they didn't. Ford was set up to fail in F1, and it didn't matter who they brought in,
2: that was always going to be how it finished. That seems like a fitting point to leave it there. New Eater Jaguar will always remain one of F1's great what-ifs. And uh, if you didn't know all the details of that story already, hopefully now you do. Thanks to Ed and to Addy for joining us for this one. Remember to get your questions in for our series finale using the hashtag BringBackV10s on Twitter or by emailing bringbackv10s at the-race.com and check out the Race Members Club to get early access to new episodes, and to listen ad-free. Next time, we're dropping a couple of cylinders and heading into the V8 era to revisit what remains the most recent victory for Williams. That, of course, means we're covering the 2012 Spanish Grand Prix, unforgettably won by the one and only Pastor Maldonado. The Athletic.
3: Can I just say, I did actually quite like working at Jaguar.